0: The podcast from Belmont Chapel in Exeter. Sharing the story, living the life. For more information go to belmontchapel.org.uk Well tonight we complete our series in the book of Malachi. Over the last few weeks we have explored the cycle of complaints which God presents to the people of God. Last week Gemma helpfully explained that this list of complaints occurred during a period of relative stability for the people. Previous generations had returned from exile. The people's behaviour and and their attitude to God in the past had led God to exile them from their promised land. The temple, the place where God met with his people, had been destroyed. So in the past the people suffered the consequences of their poor behaviour and attitude. But that was all in the past. Now God's people were back in their God-promised land. They'd rebuilt the temple and restarted worshipping in it. Life was, in many ways, back on track, and the people potentially had a bright future ahead of them. And yet, here in the book of Malachi, we find out that the same old problems began to appear again. So this book is a helpful warning about the dangers of becoming too complacent in life. Perhaps trusting your own strength rather than God's strength. Celebrating your own abilities rather than God's abilities. Being preoccupied with your own agenda rather than God's agenda. And tonight we explore the final complaint from God under two titles. The people of God know best, Malachi chapter 3 verses 13 through to 15. God knows best, Malachi chapter 3 verses 16 through to chapter 4 verse 3. And we end by following and exploring Malachi's brief closing summary in Malachi 4, verses 4 through to 6. Well, the papers recently have been full of opinion pieces on how Boris Johnson will be remembered. I wonder where you think it all went wrong for him. Was it a failure of policy or a failure of character? Both or neither? There are certain key words, buzz phrases, uh, doing the rounds in the media. For example, here's Charlotte Columbo's opinion piece for NBC News. Johnson's legacy will be one of entitlement and arrogance, qualities he showed until the bitter end. Anybody else would have resigned long before he experienced a mass exodus of MPs. But Johnson believed so deeply in his own hype and was so confident that the public would continue to love him uh, that he didn't see any need to relinquish his power. Well, you may agree or disagree with Charlotte about whether Boris is arrogant or not, but she's far from alone in making that claim. Now, I find it interesting that tonight, being arrogant, is the final complaint made against God's people here in Malachi 3, verse 13. You have spoken arrogantly against me, says the Lord. So what would you say are the characteristics of an arrogant person? How does arrogance shape someone's behaviour? Well if you're comfortable, why not turn to the person next to you and see if you can come up with a definition or a summary or a description of an arrogant person. And if you're listening to this on uh, on on a recording, then just pause now and spend some time thinking about it. Your definitions may have included words or phrases such as stubborn, think they know best, not willing to consider alternative views, not open to test ideas, Not willing to compromise or change. Trust their own judgment more than others. Well the people of God clearly did not think that they were arrogant. As the second half of verse 13 tells us. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? So God has to spell it out for them. And verses 14 to 15 present the evidence underpinning God's complaint. Verse 14 you have said it is futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly evil doers prosper, and even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. Why does God call his chosen people arrogant? I think it's because they think they know best. They think they have life all sorted out. They are convinced that it is futile to serve God. They see evil uh, doers prosper. Evil doers are gaining wealth, perhaps goods, perhaps and having fun. Whilst the people of God do not see that they gain anything from following God's laws. The people of God seem to be suffering from FOMO, a fear of missing out on all the things the surrounding people who don't follow God have and are experiencing. Well, maybe the people of God have some sort of valid point here because God promises previously in in chapter 3, verses 10 through to 12 to bless the people. Let me read it to you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Well, in fact, blessing from God are a key theme of the prophets. Haggai in chapter 2, Ezekiel chapter 34, Jeremiah, look at chapters 31 and 50. And this blessing teaching goes all the way back to the covenant promises back in Genesis and we see rolling out time and time again. For example, here in Deuteronomy 28. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands, I will give you today the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. You'll be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. And then it follows on a list of blessings and circumstances. So has God failed to live up to his promises? Is God someone that his people can trust? Or is he all spin and hot air? Does he promise much and deliver little? Actually it sounds like I'm getting back into politics again here. Now whilst their observations that evil doers around them are prospering and that those who seem to commit evil get away with it, may be true the book of Malachi goes on to tell them that the conclusion that they draw from their observation is wrong that their thinking is flawed the people think they know best but they don't their attitude to life is wrong they're self-seeking rather than God-seeking following their own desires not God's desires they fail to keep their covenant promises with him Malachi as a book reveals the failure of the people of God to worship God with both their minds and bodies, their heads and hands. Their wrong thinking is leading to wrong actions, to broken covenant promises. Blessings require faithfulness and they're not being faithful. So how do we stop ourselves here in the 21st century copying these people of God and slipping into arrogance in the way we think? How do we remain faithful worshippers in comfortable times, if that's the reality that you're living with? I think it comes down to why you believe what you believe. On whose authority do you believe what you believe? Who do you trust to help you make sense of life? Where do you look to find the answers? After God has called the people of God arrogant, the rest of chapter 3 and going on into chapter 4, we hear two responses to his criticism of the people. Now verse 16 brings a response from at least some of the people who've heard the complaint. Verse 16 says, Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honoured his name. At least, you see, some of the people were shaken, were challenged by God's complaint. The phrase, those who feared the Lord, means those people who respected, honoured and revered uh, revered the Lord. Or to put it another way, those who realised that God had authority, wisdom, power and knowledge well beyond their own human ability and therefore they decided to trust God to help them make sense of life and their current circumstances, rather than their own abilities and observations. They put into action a plan to look at their lives from a different perspective. They record all the times when God and his people have been faithful to their covenant relationship in the past. By recalling the activities of both God and his people down through the centuries, they remind themselves that God is worth trusting. That he knows what is best for his people. Now their willingness to respond to God's criticism, I believe, is a sign of them being open to change their ideas and views. A sign of their willingness to repent and say sorry for their previous thinking and actions. It may also be a sign to the rest of the community to encourage them to change and to repent, to come back to worshipping God with mind and body. By writing the scroll of remembrance, the people could see that that they were repeating the errors and sins, the self-centred focus which led to the exile of the people of God only a couple of generations before them. These people who feared the Lord certainly could no longer be called arrogant. By looking to the past, they can stay faithful in the present. Oh, and did you spot that little phrase in verse 16? The Lord listened and heard. God gave them time and space to change, to listen to others, to pause and reflect, a chance to repent, to say sorry to him for getting it wrong. Here we read of a God who is patient and loving, who is willing to accept those who repent, who return to him, who acknowledge that they don't always know best. Now I don't know about you, but this really encourages me in my own walk with God. God did not simply write them off. He didn't wash his hands of them. You see, the book of Malachi is not simply a book of God complaining about the lack of worship of his chosen people. It is not a book just about how rubbish the people are at times. It's not all doom and gloom. It also contains a message of hope. It reveals God's nature to us. Right back at the beginning of the book, God declares in verse in chapter 1, verse 2, he loves his people. And just last week, we heard chapter 3, verse 6. I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. So this book of Malachi reminds us that God is patient, that he gives us the opportunity to return to him when we have wandered away. And I hope this is a huge encouragement to you, because it certainly is to me, since I sometimes get distracted by the values and cultural trends going on around me. In our instant society, I expect my prayers to be answered straight away. Now, if God loved me, so my thinking goes, he would do things now, this moment, surely. And in our live-in-the-moment society, when the latest thing, the newest version, is automatically best. When the past is automatically out of date, old-fashioned and best forgotten. I can forget that I can learn so much from those who have walked with God before me. All of that from just one verse. Wow. Now in chapter 3 verse 17 through to chapter 4 verse 3, we hear the second response to those who remain arrogant, who think they know best who have stopped worshipping God with their minds. Here, God reminds the people that one day he will act in time and space with absolute justice. There will come a time when the righteous will be eternally blessed and the wicked eternally punished. Verse 18 says, And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. On that day of the Lord the consequences of everyone's thoughts and actions will be examined. And reading on into chapter 4 verses 1 to 3 we have a prophetic poetry, picture language to describe the day of the Lord when God does act once and for all. This is not literal language but a series of images to illustrate the destruction of the arrogant and evildoers and the blessing of the faithful people of God. Close your eyes and and use your imagination to visualize as I read the passage. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and evildoers will be stubble. And the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays, and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Then you will trample on the wicked. There will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act as the Lord Almighty. So this picture language serves both as a warning and as a, an encouragement to God's people. The complaint of the arrogant was that God was not blessing his people. God replies, I will bless the righteous but not at the time or in the way that you want me to. And secondly, you've got to be righteous in your behaviour, in your words and deeds, in your mind and body. So God calls on the people to trust him, to listen to him, to accept his authority and decision-making over their own. So this final complaint is really all about who knows best. Who will you worship? Do you trust in your own thinking to make sense of life? Or do you trust in God's character? His character revealed to his people down through the centuries. And of course we can ask that question of us. Who do you trust? Who do I trust? So here in chapters 3 and 4, God reminds the people that their thinking is as important as their actions. In a way it's more important since your thinking shapes your behaviour. Malachi's final complaint is whether we are open to hearing God's voice or have we replaced it with an alternative voice. Are we willing to trust God or do we trust ourselves more? Who do we turn to to make sense of life? Who do we worship? Now the book of Malachi could stop at this point, but there are still three verses to go. After the final complaint we arrive at the last three verses of Malachi and in the Christian Bible at least the last three verses of the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 4 verses 4 through to 6 rounds off the Old Testament it contains the final words of the Old Testament before that 400 year gap until the events of the New Testament and this is deliberate because Christians have reordered the Jewish scriptures to do this. Today, the Jewish scriptures still end with the book of Chronicles, but we, Christians, end here. And I think Malachi chapter 4 verses 4 through 6 are the main reason why Malachi was chosen to be the last book in the Old Testament. Let me read it to you. Verse 4. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb, For all Israel See I will send the prophet Elijah to you Before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children And the hearts of the children to their parents Or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction Verses 4 through to 6 Present two of the most important people God chose to work with and through To reveal his plans God's purposes For the people of God and his creation. Moses and and Elijah have both been held up by the people of God down through the centuries as examples of faithful champions of God. They are two great role models of how at their best the people of God should live faithful lives. But even more than that they also have huge symbolic significance within Jewish and Christian tradition. In verse 4 The word remember means more than just looking back, it also means put into practice, imitate, copy. Through Moses, God rescued the people of God and brought them out of slavery to Mount Horeb. Through Moses, God gave his people his law. Through Moses, God gave them the covenant role or vocation of being an example to the surrounding nations by following the law, by living differently and by thinking differently to be a light in the darkness. The person of Moses symbolizes the law, the lifestyle which God's people were called to live out. The law shaped the life of the people as they were meant to reveal God's presence and character to the surrounding nations. And likewise, Elijah was known as the faithful prophet who rejected foreign gods when other people failed. He spoke truth to power. He was willing to confront evil and the other nations' gods. He challenged the people of God to remain faithful and not be distracted, not to wander away. And so the person of Elijah symbolises the prophetic tradition which God uses to call his people back to him, to remind them of their God-given role in the world, to tell them of God's plans for his creation. Therefore, in Moses and Elijah we have symbolically the law and the prophets which is shorthand for the whole of the message of the Old Testament. Here, at the end of Malachi, the people of God are encouraged to look back and remember that God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. To look back, they are reminded that the Bible uh, contains words of hope, words of opportunity, words of grace, and restoration. Now before the day of the Lord comes, the people will have an opportunity to return to God to leave their idolatry behind, to worship the one true God, to come together as the faithful people of God. And so these words also serve as an introduction to the New Testament and the hope we find in and through the life, death and resurrection of Jesus, through whom sin, death and evil are all destroyed so that we can live with God and worship him eternally in his new creation. After all, Jesus said, in in Matthew uh, 5, verse 17. Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. You see, the book of Malachi challenges the people of God to look back and to look forwards, with faithful hope and trust in God. And it asks you and me to do the same this week. So why not spend some time now looking back From our 21st century lives to the events of the old and new testament i wonder what encourages and strengthens you in your faith what helps you remain faithful and avoid the the dangers of just drifting away you may want to to pray quietly yourself about this to give praise to god to recognize you may want to write down the names or circumstances or situations And leave it somewhere prominent that you can just be reminded with it when you're finding life tough or when you're finding life just trickling on and you sort of drifting. You can also look back at your own walk with God. What encourages you and strengthens you from your own lived experience in the past? What's going to give you hope to keep going, to keep focused, to stand as light in the darkness? My prayer for you and my prayer for myself is that if life is going well with us, that we won't be distracted, we won't drift, that we won't become arrogant and think that we know best, that we won't become self-seeking rather than God-seeking, that we will follow God's desires and not our own desires or those from people around us. Amen.